Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast, Coach Paula. Well, thank you. I feel like I've been on a two-week sabbatical. It was not a very pleasant two weeks, though. It was not, but who knew a person could sleep 22 out of 24 hours a day for like eight days straight? You really slept that much? (laughs) It felt like it. (laughs) It seemed like you were up all night. Well, I was attempting to sleep. Let's just say that. Mm. I am very thankful that the cough has subsided. I tested for everything and was negative, so I guess I just had a nasty cold or something. Nasty cold. And a sore throat like none other. Mm. But hey... The podcast went on. Bethany stepped in and did a wonderful job. She did so well. I invited her to just replace me on the podcast, but she didn't like that idea too much. The show must go on. The show did go on, and I did listen to the podcast while I was laid up. So, But anyway, the podcast came out last Monday, December 6th, and then... Two days later, December the 8th was a pretty big milestone in the Roberts household. Well, December 6th was as well. Yes, it was. We mentioned that on the last podcast. Yeah. Well, December the 8th is my birthday. And a double nickel birthday. Double nickels. So, 55 and just keep getting better and better with age. Hmm. I'm not sure my times are going to get any better, but hey, I'm enjoying where I'm at. Yeah, and you know, life's not all about beat yesterday it's about doing what you're given today with what you're given definitely so you took some time off of training while you were under the weather i did i had already decided to take a few days off just to rest i just feel like my body wanted a longer rest than usual after boston so after getting back into training a few days i had decided I was going to rest a couple days, and then two days later, I was just knocked on my back with the illness, so it coincided well with a break I'd already decided to take, so I uh, started running again this week after a two-week break, technically a 13-day break, and my easy pace is probably about 30 seconds off of where it normally is. But I'm just giving myself a little bit of grace and letting myself recover from that little setback. Yeah, your body is probably still just exhausted from the the trauma of the illness. and It'll take a little while for you to get back to where you were. Well, I think that, and I don't generally take any kind of medication, so I'm sure that all the medications that I was prescribed are still pumping through my system and probably not playing nicely with my workout goals. So drinking a lot of water and letting all that flush. And in the, the meanwhile, if I sound a little bit funny, like I talk with a lisp, do, do I talk with a lisp? I haven't noticed, but I'm around you all the time. Yeah, so this past week, 
I went to the orthodontist and I now have Invisalign to straighten up a little bit of crowding that my wisdom teeth have created in my old age. <laughs> You've got a long way to go before your old age. Yeah. I was teasing somebody telling them that getting my teeth straightened was a midlife crisis and they informed me that at 54, I'm probably well past midlife. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit rude. Yeah, but what's your, your heart age? 12. <laughs> Seems like in one of the online fitness apps where you put in your blood pressure and your cholesterol and your activity level, it gives you a heart age. Do you remember what yours is? I think it was like 42 or something-ish. Yeah. I have a funny story, though, that's totally off topic. Okay. So I go to Vanderbilt once every six weeks to get the eye injections, and that just helps me to be able to see, which we've talked about before. But And you had walked in with me. But when I approached, there was a young guy, probably in his early 20s, who was manning the COVID booth. You have to go through some checks before you go in. And did you hear the conversation that transpired? Because you turned around and were leaving when I went up and approached him. I did not hear the conversation. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if he works for tips or what, but... He said, he said, what's your, he said, do you have an appointment? And I said, yes. And he said, what's your last name? And I said, Roberts. He looked up and he goes, oh, are you Julia? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, well, how'd you know? He said, I could just tell. (laughs) Did you give him a tip? I did not. He was just being funny. So anyway, he found my real name and I told him that, you know, we were actually just twins. You're more beautiful than she is. Oh, you're sweet. And if if I didn't know better, I would not know you had Invisalign. You wouldn't? I felt very self-conscious today. We went to visitation. My best friend from high school lost her mom this past week, and we went to visitation, and I was trying to talk with her, and it just felt awkward, and I just felt like everybody was staring at my mouth, but they probably were not. One of our classmates that I was speaking with while you were speaking with someone else looked at you and then looked at me and said, you married a beautiful woman. <laughs> oh, that was awfully sweet of whoever said that. Yeah. And I <laughs> told him, I agree totally. I have been blessed. Well, you're just sweet. So tell me about your training this week now that you're off the... The, the, now D- that, the DL. <laughs> now that I'm off the DL. Now that you're off the DL. Okay, so I started by Tuesday, and I did, I probably should have started with an easy two or three miles just because I still wasn't feeling well and my legs hadn't been doing anything, but for whatever reason, I decided to do five miles, and by that evening, my quads were pretty sore, Hmm. and then the next day, I ran by myself that day because I didn't want to meet friends and then either start coughing or not be able to run, so the next day... I met with Suzanne, who we've been doing a lot of training together, and we had a six-mile run, and I could tell we actually ran three miles out, so we had three miles miles back, and I could tell at about three and a half miles that my quads weren't playing nicely, so at five miles, I told her, I said, I'm going to go ahead and walk it in, but you keep running and finish yours, and she goes, no, I'll just walk it in with you, so we just enjoyed 
morning and enjoy the sunshine and of course we always have great conversation but we walked it in and when we got back she said well I was gonna finish and do my last mile in your neighborhood she said but my watch is already timed out and auto saved so I'm gonna take that as a sign (laughs) (laughs) so and we're kind of at first we were gonna train seriously for the Mesa marathon that we're doing but now that we both got into Boston as well as you, so all three of us, the two of us have decided we're not really going to race Mesa. We're going to use it as a training run to prepare for Boston. So we've backed off a little bit in the training and uh, going to start training seriously for Boston probably first week of January or so. Not too far away. It goes quickly. Mm-hmm. So I know you had a big week of training in fact, I asked you on our way home from the funeral, I said, how many miles did you run this morning? And you said, 54. I said, what? You said, 54. And then I realized you must not have heard correctly what I asked. Well, I am 55 years old now. So um, you think you're going deaf? Or you think I'm just, the lisp is so bad that <laughs> you can't understand what I'm saying? It could be a combination. <laughs> so we went from, you can't tell I have them in, to it might be my lisp. <laughs> Or it could be my hearing. So anyway, you actually ran 54 miles this week, which I guess that's the most miles you've run in a while. Mm, I think two weeks ago, I had about the same. Okay. Yep. So you did 14 today. Just a little shy. Real easy pace. It was nice running with a group today. And I'm still trying to figure out, I'm just going to put it out here for everybody to, to hear I'm still trying to figure out if you're starting a streak run or if you're just enjoying the ability to run right now. I'm enjoying the ability to run, and I'm enjoying running with Jacob, our son. Yes, but even on days that he's not running, you're out there. I enjoy running. Yeah. And we've got the Mesa Marathon. we got Boston. we got Chicago. we got New York. There's a half marathon we're interested in. We've got a busy year ahead of us. Why do, why do I feel like you have not answered my question? I'm, I'm building a base of fitness, but I'm not doing anything crazy fast. But if one day you decided I'm not going to run today, that would be okay. <laughs> it would be okay if I decided not to run one day. <laughs> you are just avoiding my question. Have you marked down the day you started a streak? My mind is like a steel trap. What does that mean? I do know what day was the first day that I have been healthy enough to run consistently. And not miss a day. Okay. Okay. How many days have you run and not missed a day? I'm not counting days. Oh, okay. We'll we'll just see where this goes. And we've talked about this before. I've gone six or seven weeks without missing a day, and then I go, oh, I'm not going down that rabbit hole, and I purposefully miss a day. So that I'm not a year and a half into it going, I can't miss a day. I can't miss a day. I'm on a streak. Boy, you're awfully silent. Maybe we should get into the podcast topic. <laughs> Let's do because we are still airing the interview that we had with our friend who is a streak runner who I think might be rubbing off on you. Maybe. I may have to go out to Moab sometime. Yeah, and I think Bethany's already made it clear that if you go out to Moab, she's not doing 50 miles with you. (laughs) All right. Well, there's other roles and responsibilities 
for the crew besides running 50 miles. Mm-hmm. So in the last episode, we started off talking with Lee about his history, and we worked our way up to the Moab 240. Where we left off, Lee was at just over 70 miles in. He's had less than three hours of sleep, and he's into the start of day two. Let's continue with Lee's interview. So welcome back, Lee Anderson. All right, so after your nice couple-hour nap, it was time to head to the island aid station, which was another 16 miles away. Not too much gain, just 900 feet on this section. But now you have your wife, Suzanne, as a pacer. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you made it to the island at 3.36 Saturday afternoon. Yeah, that was a mostly runnable section, you know. So we did mostly running during that section. We actually met up with a guy shortly after we started named John. And um, he was struggling. He said he actually thought about dropping out at Indian Creek, but they talked him into keep going. And Suzanne was talking to him about pace and what we planned on doing. And he's asked if we minded if he went with us. And we said, no, you know, come ahead. So he stayed with me not only through that section, but the next two. And we got to the island and I still can't figure out why they call it the island. There's nothing that makes it look like an island. It's not isolated like an island, but for some reason they call it the island. But, you know, I really started running into some issues at that point in time as far as eating. And it was not Suzanne's fault. She tried to force feed me and make me, because she knew I needed to take into some calories. But my stomach had just gotten to the point where I was, I was afraid to put anything in it. Nothing tasted good. And I was afraid to put anything in it. So I was very selective and very careful and, and not taking in enough calories. You know, that's one of the things, you know, you, you have to overcome here is you're burning a tremendous amount of calories. So you've got to replace that somehow, some way. And so we got through that section and, and it was one of the better sections because it was very runnable. So at this point, you're about 87 miles in and you're heading to Bridger Jack next. And that's another 15 and a half miles with a lot of gain, 2,200 feet of gain. And you made it at 930 at night. So it's dark again. And was this the section where Suzanne was unable to continue with you or was that the next section? No, it was that section. And, um, you know, so she did over 30 miles with me. And really, I thought that was more than she should have been doing it because she had been fighting an injury the whole first six months of the year. And But I was glad she was there because it did make it easier and it motivated me to keep going and to push a little bit. And John was with us. And I think she felt comfortable enough at that point in time that John and I could continue and get through the night. And we did. But um, it was a tougher section because there was a lot more climbing and you know, and then you start running into the terrain again, where, you know, you're stepping up on rocks. It's not like you're even hiking, you're climbing up and over rocks. And, and so the terrain was a little tougher in that section. And we got there, like you said, about 930 and she was able to have somebody, Travis actually came and picked her up and um, we laid down for a few minutes, but there wasn't the same, the aid stations are not really, for me anyway, they were not good places to try to sleep because there's just too much going on and people talking and, and, you know, unless you're just dead, tired, exhausted and can fall asleep, it wasn't a good place to sleep. So we, we only stayed there about 30 minutes and then we took off. John and I did. We were doing fine at that point in time. You know, it was cold, but it wasn't unbearably cold. 
and the rain had eased up, so it wasn't as wet as it had been. So we did okay, you know, up to that section and then heading out from there. So, so when I arrived at Moab late Saturday night, when I arrived at the Airbnb, Travis had left. He was going to pick up Suzanne. It's nighttime. And when he gets back with Suzanne, he's telling me about the treacherous road conditions getting to this pickup spot, which wasn't designed to have crew accessibility. Right. Somehow he was able to find it. I think he used the guy app and I think he was quite nervous about having an accident, sliding down a, a mountain, <laughs> but he made it. Suzanne made it. It was great that you had John there for company. Yeah. The, the, uh, the next section, we sort of pushed each other through it because uh, it started out real easy. The first five miles, you're actually running down a sandy riverbed, you know, no water in it. And it's like, this was supposed to be a tough section. And it was easy. It was some of the most runnable section we had found. And we set a really good pace, you know, and we could see runners in front of us and we passed some and some of them would pass us. And well, after about five miles, the fun's over. So then you start climbing and it's climb, 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 climb. What is the elevation at this point for that? Well, yeah, this, this next stop is Shea Mountain. And that's mm -hmm. a uh, aid station that allows crew. So that was my first chance to, to see you and, and hook up with the, the rest of the crew. But it was a 19-mile stretch with 4,200 feet of gain. Yes, and I, I felt every foot of that gain because it was – you were just seemed like you were constantly climbing. And then of course you'd go down a little bit and then you have to climb again. And the terrain was just horrendous. I mean, you're half the time that you're climbing, you're climbing up on boulders. So you're basically pulling yourself up from one boulder to the next. And just when you think it's going to get better, then it gets worse. You know, we did, we, he and I got off track just a little bit in the middle of the night. But with the guy up, we were, you know, able to get back on track and, you know, he would rest and wait for me and I'd rest and wait for him. And, and we finally come out of that early the next morning and it looks like, okay, we're, we're finally done here. We come out on this gravel road and I'm thinking, wow, don't have to worry about boulders or rocks anymore. It's a gravel road and we're heading downhill. And I'm thinking, oh man, this, this is going to be nice. Well, that lasted about two miles and then you start going uphill again. So for the last three miles into that next aid station, it was uphill the whole way. And it was three miles of climbing. Now the terrain was good. We were on a gravel road, but just three miles of uphill. I mean, that's just, it just wears on you physically and mentally. It's just like, you keep thinking, okay, it's gotta be around this next bend or we gotta have some downhill. And it was not, it was three miles of uphill to that next aid station. That's where you were, and that's where the crew was, and I got to sleep some more and change clothes and, and eat and, and then headed out from there. I was surprised when I saw you for the first time how positive and upbeat you seemed. You had a smile. You were happy to see everybody. It didn't take you long to fall asleep. Yeah. And yeah, while was, you were I sleeping, I decided to go for a jog. So I went down that hill that you just came up, I didn't go up three miles down and turn around and come back up three miles, but at 8,000 something feet of elevation, 
I was worn out. I think I went down 15 minutes and then turned around and came back up maybe 20 minutes, but it was a, a beautiful morning and I was able to get some really good pictures of the Moab scenery. Just, uh, just yeah, amazing. It's, it's, it's just very beautiful out there. And, and I guess one of the best experience of this race was I got to see parts of Moab that they, most people will never see, you know, the night sky, you know, where there's, you can just see stars just all over the place, you know, the stars, more stars than you ever see anywhere else in your life. And, and then when you're up high and you can see for miles and miles and miles, and the aspen trees were just beautiful in Shea Mountain, you know, and so it, it, you do get to see some stuff that you probably never see again. And, and most people never get to see out there. Yeah. So you slept for a little less than three hours, probably two hours again. And then you headed off to Dry Valley, which was 18 and a half miles with 600 feet of gain. And now your son, Jesse, was pacing you and you made it in the evening at 6.15 p.m. That was a that was a unique experience. You know, of course, running with Suzanne, Suzanne and I have ran a lot together and that was wonderful. But Jesse and I had never ran that kind of distance together before. Jesse had never ran that kind of distance before. And uh, we were fortunate in that it was mostly a gravel road, you know, some uphill and downhill, but nothing like we had gone up to uh, Shea Mountain. And so, so the terrain was very doable. And, you know, when you're spending that many hours with somebody, especially one-on-one with one of your children, it was just sort of like a something we'd probably never done. You know, we'd spent time together running, but never that amount of time together. And we'd spent time together, you know, driving in a car and stuff like that just one-on-one but you don't get that experience very often so I did appreciate and and appreciated them going out there I I never asked any of them to everybody just volunteered and wanted to go out there which made me feel a little special there too that people wanted to participate just like yourself you know you and Paula getting involved in that but it was a good experience with Jesse and then uh, uh, that was one of the easier uh, I guess terrain we got through it, you know, right before dark hit, and, and uh, it went well. Yeah, and I, I believe you took a little nap. Yes. There at Dry Valley, mm-hmm. just a short one, and then you headed off to Wind Whistle, which was 13.6 miles away with 600 <laughs> feet of gain, and now your son Peyton was pacing you, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you, you guys was- ran into the night and made mm-hmm. it to Wind Whistle around 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, one of the first things we did, and and I I had wanted him to experience the night sky because this was really the first time I'd ever experienced that. I'd heard about it and, you know, always wanted to witness it, but we were also on a gravel road for most of our time together. So it was runnable. After we got about an hour or two hours into it, I said, Pete, let's turn off our headlamps and let's just lay down and stare up at the sky. And once you do that, and you, it, it takes a few minutes, but then the sky just opens up and it's just like, just stars and stars and planets and the moon. And it's just, you know, it's just something that everybody needs to experience at least once in their life. And, you know, it just was a good, ex- I wanted to experience that with him, you know, because, you know, he had never experienced that before either. And so it was just something that we shared. Once we got up and, and started first half of it, went pretty well. The, you know, the first 16 miles or whatever he did went pretty well. 
And then uh, we get to the next stage station and started to run into some issues after that, after we got past wind whistle. Yeah, so Peyton stayed with you and you all headed on to the Road 46 aid station, which was 13.6 miles more with 900 feet of gain. And you made it through the night and got there around 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, and what happened is shortly after we started that section, I started having a pain in my right side. And it wasn't like a, a stitch or anything. It was just a, actually a muscle pain in my right side. And I started leaning. And I don't know if anybody has seen the finish of the Western States this year, but there was a guy who finished the race leaning almost sideways. And, and I was starting to get that. And I was starting to lean and hurt. And I couldn't find a comfortable position to continue to run in. And so I ended up taking my backpack off and strapping it over on this shoulder to try to pull me back upright again. So that section, I struggled with that pretty much the whole time. So it wasn't, and, and I, that was the first time I was probably worried that I can't go on like this. I mean, this, this is going to continue or if it's going to get worse, I just won't be able to do it because I'm moving so slow, you know, and I can't get on. By the time I got to the next stage station, it had semi-corrected itself. It had gone away. But, you know, that was, that 16 miles took us several hours. So that was several hours of me worrying about it and irritated about it, you know, and hurting. And uh, that was the first time that I probably wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue on. But when we got to the aid station, of course, I got to sleep again. That helped. Uh, I did have a pretty severe blister on one of my feet. I didn't feel it that much, but uh, when Suzanne saw it, they went and got uh, a person to come over there and attend to them, and she lanced it and bandaged it, and and so I didn't get, and I was, because that last section took me so long, I couldn't sleep very long, you know, I had to get back out there because I was eating into my time at that point in time, and, uh, but, you know, I got a little boost from the rest and the eating and they're getting, you know, attended to. And so Caitlin and I took off after that. Yeah. So when you were at road 46, after you got bandaged up, I remember you said you had to go check out with the aid station workers and you were going to go to the restroom as well. But when you left the restroom and we were heading back to the vehicle, you started jogging back to the vehicle. And that really impressed me. I was thinking just how uh, uh, upbeat you were, knew you had to be hurting, but just that little pep in your step gave the crew some confidence that you were doing okay and, and we're okay to keep going. Well, and, and a lot of that boost came from the crew, from you and, and, and the crew. You know, there's people that do this with no crew. And to me, that adds a whole nother level of difficulty. You know, I thought that I'll just go out there and do it myself. That was my original plan, just go out there and do it myself. I would not have made it as far as I did with, by myself because the mental part of it where, you know, you're trying to keep yourself going when you really don't want to go anymore and you really don't feel like you can go anymore. Having other people there to support you and willing to put in their time and effort, it just gives you a boost that, you know, I can't quit. You know, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And you and the age stations, I got that little boost, you know, when I would see people and realize, okay, Caitlin's ready now. She's ready to go. And, and I got to pump this up and get on out of here. And, and we started out at, you know, actually running again. And, and, you know, you've still got that overall fatigue and tiredness and soreness, but 
at that point in time, it's not overwhelming. It's like, okay, I, I can live with this. I don't like it. I wish I felt better. I wish I could run faster, but I'm okay. I can keep going. So when you left Road 46 heading to Pole Canyon, you, the next section was 17.6 miles with 3,400 feet of gain. And, and Caitlin was your pacer now. They had changed the course, like you mentioned before, because of snow in the mountains. So they had lowered the elevation some, but it had increased the mileage a little bit. And that was when you left that aid station, Road 46, heading to Pole Canyon. That was the first time in my mind that I thought, I'm not sure you're going to make it. Because the, the way you were leaning, the, the damage to your feet, but you pressed on. You and Caitlin knew that the weather was going to get bad, and you made it to Pole Canyon, which was an intermediate stop before you could see the crew again. You made it there about dark, 7.10 p.m., and the sweepers at the tail of the race were starting to catch up. Tell us about that. Well, the, the section to get to Pole Canyon, of course, there's a lot of climbing, like you said, 3,400. It was the same thing with the terrain. You know, the terrain would we were basically running up this rocky creek bed and I go back to the rocks because it, I don't want you to, I don't want anybody to think, you know, it's just rocks because if somebody sees this and thinks that, okay, well, anybody can run on rocks. These are boulders. These are not rocks. I mean, they're fist size or bigger that you're stepping from one rock to the other. So the train just, you know, keeps pounding on your feet. And of course you're climbing, climbing, climbing the whole time. And that's really that's, challenging as it gets dark. Yeah, and, and that section that section was really tough. You know, I was I was tired. The terrain was bad. It just seemed like we just kept going uphill, uphill, uphill. And the thing that kept me going and got me through it was Caitlin being there really made a difference. And I assumed falsely that once I get to the top of this, then the next section will be downhill. And so we stop at that aid station. I sleep for about thirty minutes. When we left that aid station. I actually had two hours of spare time, you know, to finish the next section. And I really thought at that point in time that I was going to make it. I thought, okay, it's downhill. You know, you've gotten through the tough part. You know, the weather had not turned quite as bad at that point in time. You know, it was getting cold and we're 8,600 feet up on this mountain. So it wasn't ideal conditions, but I thought, okay, I've got extra time. We can do this. And when we headed out, I really thought I was going to finish at that point in time. And then um, you go downhill for the next couple of miles, and then you start back uphill again. And then you go downhill, and then you go back uphill. And it's just like, I thought this was going to be downhill, and it wasn't. It was just as much climbing because you were doing up and down, up and down, up and down. It wasn't like you were going gradual downhill. You would go downhill for a while and then climb again, downhill and climb again. And the section um, that they had remade for this trail, to call it a trail is a very loose definition of a trail. It looked like somebody had ran down through there or walked down through there with a couple of machetes cutting limbs off of trees. I mean, there was places where it was so narrow you could barely fit through it. You know, the limbs were catching on your backpack and, and on your clothes and stuff. So that was very irritating. And the fact that we kept going uphill when I thought we were going to be going downhill was very irritating. Plus, it kept slowing me down. I would have to stop every 100 yards or 150 yards and catch my breath. Probably a combination of fatigue, combination of the elevation, you know, just different things. I was tired. But 
it was just a real challenging section. And then the terrain, you know, the rocks and all that stuff. But I still thought, you know, when we started into it, I thought, well, we're going to be okay. And then it started raining, rained for a little while, and then it turned to sleet, and then it turned to snow. And it's like, just it just keep pounding on you. You know, you got the terrain, you got the elevation, you got the cold, you got the snow, the rain, the sleet. It's like, oh my gosh, the elements are working against me. How am I going to finish this? It, was it and, also, uh, were there also gusting winds? Yes. Yeah. The, the wind was almost scary at times. I and mean, there was times when the wind it felt like it was going to blow you off the trail. I kept thinking, man, I thought this was going to be easier. I thought this was going to be easier. And then we noticed a couple of people coming up behind us. And that was the uh, sweepers is what they call them. And what they're doing is they're basically following the last runner. So I realized at that point in time, I was the last runner. Everybody, you know, that hadn't got to that point had dropped out at that point in time. And, you know, they were extremely nice. You know, they would keep their distance. Whenever I would stop, they would keep their distance. They would try to encourage me. Uh, they couldn't offer any assistance because they didn't have any assistance with them or anything other than just encouragement. And their job was to go along picking up all the, what we call dragons. It was the markers that uh, they hung from the trees and stuff. And um, they never put any pressure on me at all to go any faster. They just let me pick my own pace. And the snow had really picked up at one point in time. And I told Kate, I said, Kate, I just, I got to lay down. I got to rest. So we sort of scooted up underneath the edge of this big pine tree to try to get out of the snow. And um, I went to sleep. I said, give me 30 minutes. So I went to sleep for 30 minutes. And uh, she woke me up and, and we got up and we started moving. And, and she says, dad, you know, I, I've done the math. Uh, you can't finish. You're not going to make it to the next aid station in time. And so they're going to make you stop. And if my first reaction was anger that you can't make me stop or nobody can make me stop. As long as I can keep going, I'm going to keep going. And, you know, I, I realized that, hey, this isn't Caitlin's fault. Don't get angry at Caitlin. Caitlin is making what she thinks is the right decision for you and your health. And she's telling you she's done the math. You can't make it. So I start doing the math in my head and I'm thinking she's right. You know, I, I can't get to the next aid station before the cutoff. What I remember I was, I was mad and frustrated. It was just, oh, it's like, oh my gosh, you came this far. You can't quit. And and I finally had to admit that I'm just not going to make it to the next aid station. What I remember from that section, tracking you online, which the, the Moab website had pretty good tracking with the terrain and the weather and your fatigue. You were moving just maybe a little bit over one mile an hour at this point. Yeah, the sleeper so, said I was doing 52 minutes a mile at that point in time, which, you know, it didn't take hard. It didn't, it's not hard to figure the math that you cannot make it going, you know, one mile an hour. So you had left Pole Canyon, you were on your way to Horse Creek, and you thought it was going to be downhill, but that was actually a, another 3,300 feet of gain if you had went the whole way. But, but you're into day five of five days. And when we picked you up, it was cold. It was, it, there was sleet. And one of the volunteers came over to the vehicle and handed us one of those dragons to give to you and made sure that we let you know that you had completed 196 and three quarters miles. I just thought that was just uh, very special that they were considerate enough to, to recognize what really was a huge accomplishment 
of making it that far in those conditions. So I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would not have made it as far as I did without you and Paula and of course the family, you all helped me with the training for it. You all helped me encourage, you helped me with the guy app. And if, if anybody out there wants to attempt this someday, then get a crew because it really makes a huge amount of difference. And I would not have made it 196 miles, you know, without the crew. Yeah, I can't imagine that either. It does seem like we saw a lady who was uh, doing the event by herself. And it seems like maybe I heard that she finished with just a few minutes to spare. Mm -hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? I think I heard that too, yes. It's just hard to believe. Yeah, it just, it's, it's hard to imagine anybody even finishing. Yeah. But then to finish without a crew. That's a different level of athlete to me. I, I put myself here and that person here, a person that can finish it first off is a different level. But a person who can finish it with no crew, I just, I can't imagine, you know, the difficulty of that. And it not saying I will ever try anything like this again, but if I did, I'm going to have a crew <laughs> because I know that grace greatly increases my chance of actually being able to finish it. So have you fully recovered from the experience? Physically, I have. Mentally, I don't know if I ever will. I mean, just, just the, the overwhelming disappointment that I spent a year training for this and I had everything set up and I had a crew and realizing at that point in time, I'll never try anything like this again. I mean, that that's just, I don't think I'll ever get over it. And it's like a, a scar that'll always be there and it'll cross my mind every once in a while. I'll move on, you know, I'll move on to other races and continue to run and, and see many beautiful things, but that disappointment will always be there. You know, it'll never go away. You made a comment to me when we were talking about scheduling this podcast. You said the scabs are gone, but the scars are still there. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the way mentally that I felt about it. You know, when, when you first approached me with it, I said, it's too soon, you know, for the next two weeks after I got done, I didn't even want to run. And I've never, I don't remember a time in my life that I didn't want to run, but that was the least, the last thing I wanted to do. My feet were just, you know, beat to death and they hurt constantly for the next week. And, but just mentally, I just, I, I was so hugely disappointed with it and the fact that I felt like I let a lot of people down you know everybody that supported me and everybody that followed me online and and I just felt like I let myself down plus a lot of other people too and and I, it'll just never go away it, it was first it was an open wound at that point in time when you first asked me it was still an open wound and then you know, after a few weeks, it scabbed over and I didn't want to pick at the scab. So I didn't want to talk about it till, till the scabs had gone away. And then finally I got beyond that point. And then it got to the point where, you know, now it's just a disappointment that I didn't, wasn't able to finish. Not that I, I, I tried. I'm glad I tried because I would have always wondered if I never tried, I'd always wondered, man, you, you, you might've been able to do this and you wanted to do this. Why didn't you at least try? So I get a little satisfaction in the fact that I at least tried it. But the disappointment, you know, right now, it feels like it'll never go away. But maybe it will. Maybe with time, I'll realize, that, hey, you did all you could do. And now you got to go on to find something else. Find, what's the next challenge? Well, as one of your crew, I did not feel like you 
disappointed me at all. You didn't let me down. I was, I was thrilled to be able to support you in this. I'm amazed. And you, you talked about earlier that you would never be able to run faster than your personal bests. So you decided you'd start running longer. Well, you did get a personal best at Moab because mm-hmm. 196 miles is a lot further than 150 miles. So that's a positive yeah. to keep in mind. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And I, I think I'll get there someday. I just not there yet. And I think it may take me committing to another race. Nothing like this, you know, nothing of this caliber, but actually committing to a race and going out and finishing it. And then I, I'll feel like, okay, I've, I've moved on then. So I need to, I need to pick out something. And as a matter of fact, you know, the, the marathon that we're going to do in February, my main goal is to finish it. And if I finish it, I'll feel like I accomplished, Hey, I can still run a marathon. I'm going to train for it. And, you know, if my leg is fine in the next few days, I plan on putting in a lot of, you know, time and effort for it. And maybe that will be the, the next step in my mental recovery is okay, move on now. You know, you can't go back and change anything. You did all you can do there. Now move on to the next one. Yeah, certainly. So just thinking back on your preparation and the race, what are some lessons learned that you think would help other people who are into ultra marathons or into something as extreme as Moab? Well, ultra marathons, you know, Anything over 26 miles is considered to be an ultramarathon. The most common one is a uh, 31-mile distance. I think if you don't have any physical problems, that if you've done a marathon, that's not a huge step up. It's the next step up. And that's I, that's what I would encourage anybody that's, that's thinking about an ultramarathon. Take that step first. Now, I did the 50, you know, years ago. But um, that was actually, that 50 was a road run. You know, most ultra marathons are on the trails. And so, you know, take that step and then decide if you want to go from there. Uh, you got to put in the time. You got to put in the distance. If it's going to be longer than that, then there's a good chance you're going to be running at nighttime or in the dark. So that adds a whole new element to it. You know, you have to do some night training because it's different. It's, you know, it's mentally it's different and physically it's different. You probably haven't slept all day. And normally you go home and you rest and then you go to bed. And, you know, depending on the distance you're looking at, you're not going to be able to do that. So that's another factor that you throw in there. If I was to ever attempt Moab again, and I don't plan on it, but if I was to ever attempt Moab again, I think I would have to go do some altitude training because, you know, maybe I'm just using that as an excuse, but I believe it was a factor. The fact that I was not used to those kind of conditions. So I think that would help. I think I don't think you could ever duplicate the terrain that we actually ran on. So I would like to go out there and run over some of the same terrain that, you know, we ran over during the race, just so that if nothing else, you're mentally prepared for it as well as physically, because it is, you know, it was, was very demanding. So I think you got to put in the time and the distance and realize what a major commitment that you're looking at, because I never realized to the degree that, I was going to have to put in, you know, to even get to the kind of shape that I was able to get into and to do better and finish it, I would have to do even more than that. But the altitude training, I think, would have made a difference. Running on the actual terrain out there would have made a difference. One of my biggest issues is taking in enough calories. So that's a problem I've had, you know, 
forever. And a lot of runners do have it. It's not just unique to me. A lot of runners have that issue, but you've got to find a way of overcoming that. You've got to find a way of getting some kind of calories in your system because the amount of calories, I lost uh, eight pounds in that four day period of time. And because, you know, I was burning thousands of calories a day and taking in, you know, one tenth of that. So I would have to find a way to overcome that to a greater degree, you know, to even think I had a chance you know, of going out and completing something like that again. To sum it up, traveling to the race location, spending some time at that elevation, getting familiar with the course and figuring out what nutrition choices you can tolerate to get in enough calories to keep you going. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Those are the things that I think would greatly have increased, you know, my chances of actually finishing, but you know, you never know. You just never know over a five day period of day and night and all kinds of terrain. There's just so many things that could go wrong, but again, you did great. Is there anything else you want to share before we conclude this podcast? Nope. Just looking forward to getting back on track and start that new streak first of the year and start training for Mesa. All right. Stay on two feet. All right. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, Lee. Glad to do it. It was great to hear Lee's story. Yeah, I'm so excited that he was willing to talk with you. I was under the weather when all this transpired, but I was so glad that he was willing to do that. And I just feel like he has so much insight and wisdom, especially on the ultra side of running. He's very humble, too. He is humble. And he's going to be starting a new streak of running January the 1st. We'll see where that goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see what his next adventure is. It'll be exciting. It always is. And it's going to be fun. Me and you and Lee and Suzanne traveling to Mesa, Arizona together. And Boston. And Boston. So when Lee was telling us his story, a scripture came to my mind that I would like to share. It is from Psalm 147, and it's verses 3, 4, and 5. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. I think it was pretty cool. Lee and his son Peyton laying under the stars in the middle of nowhere in Moab during the middle of this very important race for Lee. It'll be a moment neither of them ever forget. Exactly. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.